0: So when we learn to do a handstand, we have a process of failure. Hi, it's John. You're listening to the Access Potential Podcast. Of course, there's lots of different ways that we develop this. We break it up into things like the kick up, the strength that we need to hold the handstand, the balance, But effectively, what we're really doing as we train each of these, so to speak, we're really masking the fact that it's this continual flop. It's one failure after another, often for quite a while. We kick up, we fall back down. I remember a time when I was about 18 and I did a surf trip back to French Polynesia. I was originally born in French Polynesia. So I went back there and I'd been back there once before, I think when I was about 15 or 16. I'd gone back for the surf trip and I went by myself and the waves are pretty amazing. I paddle out this place that I'm surfing quite a lot and the locals are pretty heavy. So there, you go by yourself and basically uh, you're not always going to get waves. There's a definitely a bit of a hierarchy in the lineup. And sometimes people will want to take your boards. They'll maybe kick you out of the water. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Of course, none of this stuff had happened to me, but you hear about it anyway. So I'm sitting out the back. And then all of a sudden, this one day, this dude comes up. and He wants to take my board. And so I start kind of freaking a little bit. And, of course, I string together. I could speak some French because I would kind of learned it growing up. Uh, but I couldn't really speak any Tahitian. In fact, when I got there, the only words that I had learned were from people that I met, and it was like swear words or words around fishing or surfing, kind of words which weren't particularly helpful in the situation. Anyway, so I start scrambling, pulling together what little Tahitian I knew with some French, and basically my tactic was to try to convince this guy that it actually wasn't so smart to t- take my board because he said he wanted to borrow it, but I know if he wants to borrow it, he's taking it, right? And I'm not getting it back. So I'm like, no, no, you don't want to borrow my board. It's too small for you. What about I can fix your board? I see your board's got some damage to it, and so I knew how to fix fiberglass and with epoxy and this kind of thing. What about I fix your board, and then uh, you'll have your board will be like new, and then it'll all be good, right? Right. And so I'm saying this quickly and I'm watching and I'm looking for reaction, for response, to see if this is landing, to see if it's going to work. Luckily, eventually he kind of agrees and nods and then after the end of the surf, uh, later that day comes and of course I had to then scramble to fix his board as quick as I could. And the story kind of goes on. The thing is, with the handstand, we don't really have any consequences associated with it. There's no real need, no real urgency. There's no real risk. We do these things and we kick up and people will talk about embracing failure. Really, with the handstand, there's not so much failure. We know that we're going to fall back down. We know that this is a process. So we can count it in this example, but effectively, it's not so tense. It's not so important. It's not so critical. There's no emotional labor involved because it's expected that we'll be failing. It's part of the expected or known process. With the board, though, in this kind of situation, it's a different thing because all of a sudden there's tension. So there's sense of physical risk or emotional risk or whatever it might be. So there's a lot more emotional labor involved, a lot more tension. There's a lot more necessity, a lot more urgency. And so here we're looking for a mechanism, we're looking for tools, we're looking for ways to know whether our strategy or what we're going to say is working in the situation. In both of these cases though, one case without tension or without urgency and with a known process or a known journey and the other case with tension, with urgency, we're using what's called a feedback loop. So those who regularly seek feedback from their peers outperform. Happens time and time again, even you'll be able to think of people around you, some of those who seek feedback or welcome feedback, and then those who don't and by and large, the ones who seek the feedback outperform. So we can go back to when we were at school. Obviously, when we first started up, this idea of performance really was was born, began. You know, the concept of an A, a B, a C, a grading based on how we went in the test. Of course, the result that you were going to get in a test was fairly well known. It was fairly expected. It wasn't often that it was that big of a surprise. Because you had feedback throughout the year as to how things were going. So if your grades or if the school was important to you and your worldview and your belief system at that time and you put in the effort and you embraced feedback, chances are you went okay in the test. If you went throughout the year and you continued, either the grades weren't important or you got the feedback but didn't embrace it, didn't change the process or adjust course, then you tended to be a bit more hit or miss on what happened at the end of the year, kind of to be expected. So today we're going to talk about this concept of feedback, what's really going on, and a couple important things that we need to remember. So the first thing is we know that we want it. We we can see from the handstand as we use feedback and some people will call this negative feedback because we're falling back down and we're using that failure to reprogram, to adjust, to change course, to then try again. Or we could just call it general feedback but we have the handstand we're using feedback in order to eventually find balance, whether that's Just getting the first 10 second hold, or whether we're looking for longer handstands, you know, a minute, two minutes, whatever it might be. The other situation where the guy's trying to steal the board or take the board, we're looking for feedback through the language barrier. Am I being understood here? Is this something that's going to, is the guy going to get this enough? Am I selling him the idea? that I can help him, I can fix his board, and it's actually going to work out better than if he takes my board, which is too small anyway. I'm looking for facial cues. I'm looking for facial recognition and feedback, the same exact thing. So we have this process of looking for a reaction, looking for recognition, looking for something to tell us what's going on, and then we can change course. Now, of course, in, the, in these two situations, it's a lot easier because we're dealing with just one worldview. We're dealing with only ourselves. When we're dealing with only our own narrative, and I've spoken a lot about narrative in previous episodes, it's really easy because we're not coming across the ego. We're not coming across a conflict in belief systems between us and somebody else. So the discussion today is really more around this concept of feedback with others. As soon as we go from what's called a lone wolf situation where we're on our own, maybe it's as a sole practitioner in your business, or maybe it's in a solo sport, like something like triathlon, where we can, by and large, continue and get better to a point without another person. We can still use feedback, but where we can, we can exist in isolation or solo. Uh, Things are a little bit easier because we don't have this conflict, this potential conflict of beliefs or worldviews that pops up. soon as we're with another person, we have two different worldviews, two different people. So effectively what we have here is this dance that's taking place. Now, the first thing is we understand at this point that we want feedback, that two minds, the power of two minds or two brains – coming together on one task must be more effective than one. Another way to look at this is open source systems development. So if we have 20 minds in the room and we're using feedback and open source and we test, retest, ideas come back onto the table and then we change and tweak and develop, the product, service or idea generation is going to be far superior than if we have one mind or one brain. So we know this, we know that we want feedback, we know that we want to recruit this IQ, this EQ, this intelligence, creativity of other people. And so now let's talk about how we do this, because it's a little more difficult than what people say. A lot of people talk about, you need a culture of feedback, start giving feedback. It's not so simple. Okay, so the first thing is to understand the posture, to understand what we're actually doing here so if I have a project and we're working together on something and I create the first draft I create my project and maybe it's going to get shipped out on uh, the end of June okay and it's now 20th of June so I'm looking for feedback on this project let's say 20 22nd of June this weekend Saturday and somebody comes in and I say look can you give me some feedback on this? I'm going to send it out at the end of the month. The very first thing, so let's talk about this, this concept of giving feedback, right? So not the person receiving, but the person who's reviewing and giving the feedback. The very first thing is this posture, this posture of generosity, this posture of kindness, this posture of recognizing that the person who is asking you for the feedback is in a vulnerable position. They've put themselves into this work. They haven't minimized themselves. They haven't said something like, you know, oh, I only had a few minutes to do this job. So, you know, don't worry about the quality. It's not that good, but can you give me some feedback? That doesn't count. So the person has actually tried. They've actually put the time in. They haven't minimized themselves. They haven't taken away from the power of the work and this gives you the position to give good solid honest feedback so the first thing is we have this generous position this generous stance, this understanding that this other person who's created this work has come from this place of vulnerability now the second thing is we need empathy we need inquiry and we need empathy empathy because we need to understand who this project is for if the project is for me or is the is, is for you, is that the project is for the person reviewing it, that's one thing. Then we can give feedback from our own worldview. Most of the time, the project is not for the person giving the feedback. Okay? So if I shape a surfboard, if I if I shape and fiberglass a surfboard, and the surfboard's for a beginner, and I give the surfboard to an experienced surfer and say, hey, can you give me some feedback on this board? I've just shaped it. I've just finished it. I'm going to give it to someone who's, you know, I'm giving it to someone who's just starting out. The person who is experienced surfer and is giving the feedback cannot simply say, no, this board's no good. It's too big. It's too floaty. It's it's going to be too slow. The first step is to use inquiry and empathy and ask the question. So tell me, John, you made the surfboard. Who is the surfboard going to? Who's this for? Who have you shaped this for? Because when I understand who you shaped this for, when I understand who you've made this project for, I can start to get some insights into how I can give you feedback on this. So when we're in our business, when we're with a colleague, We need to understand who this project is going for. Who's the client? Who is the target audience? Who is the reader? Who is the viewer? If it's on social media, who's going to be watching this? Who do you want to impact? And the most important part of this is knowing that it's usually not going to be us as the person giving the feedback. So we have this generous posture. We have this empathy and inquiry to go deeper. Who are you creating this work for? And then the next thing is, We don't need to give what's called a shit sandwich. So the shit sandwich is, oh, this is amazing. I wish you would change this, but it's really good, right? So it's the, it's the, The niceness, the kindness, overly kind, then the little bit of comment, the little bit of shit in the middle of the sandwich, and then the really kind bit at the end again. And what happens if we do that is the person who created the work doesn't know where to even begin because they're confused. So we avoid that completely and we say, okay, great. I see that you've created this work for this person. I like the fact that you've asked me to give you some feedback on this based on what I think this person would see when they read this work or when they see this surfboard or when they see this project, I feel that X, Y, Z. And then we can, we can create the feedback in a kind way, in the right way, in a productive way. Maybe the work is too long for someone. Maybe that surfboard was too big for the beginner. We, whatever it might be, we now have a match because we know that we're on the same wavelength in terms of who the work is for. Again, knowing that it's not for us. It may not gel with us at all. That doesn't matter because we're using empathy to go into the worldview of who it's actually going to. Okay? So no shit sandwich. We have this posture of generosity. We have this kindness. Then also we have the empathy to get into the worldview of who this stuff is actually for. And then finally, we need to make sure that we understand what it's for. So what's this change that the person's trying to make who's created the work? Is the surfboard to ride little waves, to ride big waves, to catch more waves, to do better turns on the wave? All of these things are gonna influence the feedback that we give on the nature of the shape of the board. Okay, so we have who is it for, what's it for, we have no shit sandwich, we have the posture of generosity, we have the empathy of the person who the project goes to. So this all happens automatically when we're experienced in giving feedback. When we just start, most of the time what happens is we just tell them whether we like it or not, or we give the feedback based on our worldview. It takes a huge amount of upfront empathy patience and understanding to cultivate enough empathy to actually match the person who this is going to if we're receiving feedback so let's flip it around now we're on the other side we've created this project we've created this illustration we've created this new album that we want to put out to the world and we show it to our friends the first thing is to understand that we don't actually want to seek feedback from people if they're not able to cultivate the empathy. The prerequisite to get the feedback is that the person who we're asking has the understanding of the feedback process, has the time, has the patience, has the generosity, and then can understand the who it's for, then can cultivate the empathy of the worldview of the person who we're actually trying to reach. So if we spin it around and you've created an album, a music album, the first one that you've done, and you're all finished, you got 12 tracks all lined up, and then you say, hey, John, can you check out this album and give me some feedback? The first thing is to understand that you don't want to actually ask me if I don't understand who the album's for. So if the album's for someone who loves classical music and it's a classical album, and I don't have a deep understanding of classical music or the worldview of that person, don't ask me. It's not worth it. So what happens here is, obviously we end up cutting out a lot of people, and this makes sense. It makes sense to choose someone who has familiarity with the concept, with the audience. However, it goes a little bit deeper because we also need someone who has empathy and not just familiarity because not only are we looking at their tastes and whether they like classical music, but it needs to go deeper to understanding the market, the specific sub-niche, who exactly we're trying to reach, and the market at large. So of course, we have personal biases and all of these things coming in, and we need to be mindful of this stuff when we're asking for feedback. The next thing is that we don't need to defend. So what's going to happen is the person's going to come back. Great. Yeah, I'll give you some feedback. And there'll be two, three, four, five points. Some will be questions. Some will be comments. Oh, I, I like this. I think you could have done this better. Or what about this? Have you thought about this? The very first reaction and I say reaction rather than response that we have as a as the creator is to defend, is to say no, 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 you you didn't you didn't get it because you didn't see this part, or no, hold on, I was trying to uh, I was trying to say this, or no, no, just keep reading because you'll see what I meant two sentences later. We don't need to defend; it's not a transaction of statements or a trans. A, a, a crossing over. It's not a back and forth. It's not a take, give and take. It's simply a listen to the feedback. And the fact that they mentioned the thing that they saw is the feedback. That is enough in itself. So then as the creator, we need to have the patience to not defend, to sit, to wait. And quite often this process will take 24 hours, maybe 48 hours. Because although we feel that we might be immune to the emotional reaction up front, if the work is important to us, we won't be. It will take a long time of practice before we're able to, in the moment, disregard any emotional attachment to the project. So until that point comes, we create a gap. We create a time delta, a a gap in time, a space, to allow us to come back to the breath, to allow us to come back to the center, to allow us to look at these comments, to look at this feedback in a way that's constructive, and then choose whether or not to change the work. So this takes us to our next point, which is, as the creator, we can choose to disregard the feedback. We don't even need to accept it. We don't need to change the work. Quite often, it's in our best interest to, of course, but we don't need to. There's no law, there's no actual rule that we need to take this on board. Maybe we decide that the person doesn't know what they're talking about and that we're going to move on and ask somebody else. However, the little caveat here is that this really would be a minority of the time. And usually if that person qualifies as having enough empathy and understanding of the project and the audience, it's usually worthwhile listening to them. So there we have it. We know that we need a feedback system in place. I can think of no better place or more relevant conversation or area for this than in your business, in your small business, your medium-sized business, whatever large company organization. As soon as we're working with others, as soon as we have a product or service, this is essential because What we know is we create better work, we create more impact, we create greater change through this process of feedback. We know that as the recipient, or sorry, the giver of feedback, we need a posture of generosity, we need a posture of kindness, we need empathy, we need to understand the audience, we need to understand what is this for, what's the point of this project, and from this position we can give valuable, insightful, and productive and constructive feedback. As the person receiving the feedback, we know to only choose someone who is on board with this feedback process. You know, maybe you need to send them the podcast beforehand, but they need to understand this posture of generosity, that worldview. They need to understand each of these points. And without those points, They'll be bringing in their own personal biases into the feedback, which may or may not be of any help at all. And they may actually disrupt or cause, uh, you know, harm to the work if it's not in line with the worldview of the audience. We know as a recipient of feedback that we need space. We cannot, we understand that we're going to be prone to taking feedback personally. Uh, one of the books that I recommend in in the Access Potential Academy is The Four Agreements, Don Miguel Ruiz. And, of course, one of the four agreements is to not take things personally. Beautiful little book. I really recommend it. And, of course, it comes into play here. Through this one agreement, we can bypass a lot of the difficulties that are involved in receiving feedback. And then, finally, as a recipient, we can choose to take it or leave it. We don't need to change it if we don't want to. That's it on the feedback. My good friend Simon has just put out a big PDF on this. I was going to actually, I will have him on the podcast at some point to talk deeper about feedback because I know he's all over it and loves it. Uh, so check out, I'll, I'll link his website in here somehow. And uh, simongcooper.com, actually. And you can get it off his blog, but it's a nice big PDF. If you do run a business, you got some you know, people around you and you're wanting to create better work and you have the team on board and you all want to create better work and you're interested in vibing with some of this feedback stuff and you're not doing it in a... Um, this has to be done in a... In a it's a practice, so it's, it's done in, a, in an official way. Uh, it's done in a f- in a somewhat formal way, with a with a with an understanding and with an understanding on the time that's available for the process and an understanding of what's expected. So, if you're interested in jumping into it, I would recommend sitting down with something like this pdf that he's created or something some form of guideline or have a listen to this podcast something create the boundaries create the rules create the framework create the understanding such that you can have the agreements and you will see your work skyrocket so whether it's movement if you're training and movement obviously having another set of eyes and bringing feedback into it is huge for development Uh, relationships understanding how communication is landing for other people, how interactions are landing for other people. Of course, this is massive. And then last but not least, or the first one that we mentioned actually, your work, your business, your projects that you're creating. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you next week. If you did like this, make sure to pass along. Any questions, john at johntmarsh.com. See you next week for another episode. And have a great weekend.